Let's join our hearts in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, come and be for us and give to us what we need, what we do not have of ourselves. Come to us, we pray, and and bring us love and grace and mercy and confidence and hope and, and life, life and that more abundantly now and always in and through Jesus Christ. Uh, cast out our fear. We pray that you'd cast out all the things that we're afraid of except for, for you. That we might still always have an awe, an awareness, a, a wonder that you are God and you are ours. Build us up in you for then we are truly built up. Amen. It was in uh, 1978 that a couple of clinical psychologists first identified, uh, this was a couple of ladies, Pauline Clancy and uh, uh, a lady by the name of, if I forget it here, uh, Suzanne Imes. And in 1978, they first identified what they called the imposter syndrome. And what they had done is they had studied people who were in in a lot of ways very accomplished, very capable, and they found out that these people, in spite of what they had done, what they had achieved, especially women, they found that this was especially true of women, that no matter what accomplishments they had, that they felt like they were imposters, that they didn't really measure up that they didn't really fit in with whatever it was that they were doing, that for all that they had accomplished, they thought that there was still somehow lacking and that they would be found out to be frauds and there'd be a knock on the door and someone would say, you're an imposter. You don't belong in this program or in this position. The imposter syndrome. You ever afraid someone's going to try and find you out as an imposter? Say, wait a minute, you don't really know what you're doing. You don't really fit in. You haven't really accomplished those things. We're going to talk today about the fear of inadequacy. And that that thing that we have within us that that always feels a little small, a little insignificant, that that, uh, personality thing we have that wonders if we are just flat inadequate. We're going to join during uh, the Lenten season Moses and the rest of the people of Israel during their wilderness wandering. Uh, God has set them free from Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They'll wander there for 40 years and end up in the promised land. That's a lot like our lives, frankly. We've already been set free by the waters of baptism. We've been washed. We've been cleansed. We've been called to be the people of God. And now we're in the wilderness for our lifetime. And one day God will, will bring us to be with Him in glory. In the meantime, we're in the wilderness facing the fears that Moses, His people, and that other people face. We're going to consider today the fear of inadequacy. That's what Moses was afraid of, that that he wasn't up to what God had called him to do. He said, O Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. God had a big thing for Moses to do, and Moses didn't feel up to it. Actually, he'd been talking with God for some time about this. God had appeared to him in his bush that was burning that didn't burn up, and he said, Moses, I've got this call for you. And earlier on, a little before our text, 
Moses had said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, Who am I? How can I do such a great thing? And, and he said, and if I do that, and they say, well, who sent you? What will I say? And, and that's where we have this great revelation of both the name of God and the I, identity and the being of God where he says, I am that I am. I'm Yahweh. I am that I am. And, and Moses went on to say, and, and what if I go and they still don't believe me? And so God gave him these signs. And one of the signs was, was to have the staff turn into a snake. Another one of the signs was to put his hand in, into his shirt and it would come out leprous and then he'd put it back and, and then it would be clean. And another one was that he was to pour water on the ground and it would turn to blood. And, and even though God was trying to give Moses all kinds of assurances that it would go all right, uh, Moses says, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. I can't do this. I'm inadequate. Now, it's hard to fault Moses. This is a big thing. This was a big project that God had for him. Uh, who can fault Moses? Uh, here he is uh, sent to go up against Pharaoh. Uh, historians tell us that at this time, you know, the, the Egyptian army and the Egyptian civilization was really at an apex of development. This would have been a big enemy to go against. And, and then Moses was supposed to manage the people of Israel in the wilderness. Scripture tells us that they had 600,000 men, not counting women and children. They estimate that there would have been a, a population of 2.4 million people that somehow or other Moses was supposed to get from Egypt to the Promised Land. This is a huge undertaking. And all of it is in front of God himself. I mean, here, Mo here Moses is speaking to this bush that's on fire that doesn't burn up. He's in the presence of God himself. We shouldn't fault Moses for feeling inadequate and not up to the job. The problem with Moses wasn't that he was inadequate, but that he was looking to the wrong place for his adequacy himself. We're going to think today about that feeling that we all have of being inadequate. I, I don't measure up. I don't fit in. I, I, I can't do it. What do we do with that? Uh, there, there are a number of things that you ought to know regarding inadequacy. And, and the first is that most people have self-esteem and adequacy issues. If you're sitting there, I, I preached this sermon last night down at the Christ campus. And one of the, the dear ladies came up, an, an older lady, and she said, she said, uh, you know, Pastor, I've felt inadequate my whole life. That's a common human experience. I like to read about some of the old rock and roll people, you know, and, and uh, some of their biographies. And, and you run into these, these guys that, that develop uh, profound drug and alcohol problems. And, and they sort that through and figure out, well, well, how did you become so addicted to drugs and alcohol? And they say, well, it's because when I got up in front of 20,000 people, I was nervous. Well, who isn't nervous? You know, who doesn't feel inadequate to get up in front of all of those people? Most people have these issues, self-esteem, adequacy kinds of issues. And that's a good thing and a healthy thing. I mean, you don't want to be arrogant. You don't want to be braggart. Uh, it's a good thing to understand that, that you have these limitations, that there are areas in your life where, where you can't cut it, where you don't have all the answers. 
This is a healthy assessment because the fact of the matter is you don't always measure up. Remember, you're a human being. Remember, you're a sinner. Remember, by nature, you're blind, dead, and enemies of God. Remember, by nature, you sin much and daily. Remember, like we say, I, a poor, miserable sinner. There are any number of ways that, in fact, we don't measure up. There are any number of ways in which we are indeed inadequate. The issue isn't whether or not we have inadequacies. The issue is what are we going to do with them? There are a number of things people do with, with their inadequacies. One of the things that, that they do with them is they tear other people down. You know, they feel bad about themselves. So they tear somebody else down. Have you ever heard this? Hurting people hurt people. That's one of the things people do. Another thing that they do is, is that they uh, uh, anesthetize themselves. You know, they, with, with drugs and alcohol and other kinds of things, they, they, they self-medicate to take away the pain or the feeling of inadequacy. And then there is perhaps the most destructive thing that we can do with our sense of inadequacy. We look within ourselves to solve it. As if we just put our mind to it, put our shoulder to it, give it our all, that we'll be able to solve our every inadequacy. I, I like this book, and what I'm about to say is no knock on this book. This is a good book. You know this book, don't you? The Little Engine That Could, right? That's a, do you read that to the kids? I hope you read that to the kids. I read it to the kids. It's a good book. It's a book about positive thinking, and we ought to be in favor of positive thinking and encouragement. You know how the book goes, and there's a little engine, and the other engines think they can't pull the train, but the one little engine says, I think I can. I think I can. And he gets going, and, and he starts to move, and he says, I think I can. <laughs> and sure enough, he keeps going, he keeps going. I always like the end of it when he's on the downwards uh, hill. Uh, remember how that ends up? I thought I could, I thought I could, I thought I could, I thought I could. It's important for us to, to be positive. It's important for us to be encouraged. But we need to be on guard against thinking that if we just look within, we can solve all of these problems. That's one of the, the issues with, and, and, and now we're on our third or fourth generation of raising kids this way. Uh, that's one of the problems with, with what they call the self-esteem movement. Just, just tell kids they're fabulous. Just tell kids they're wonderful, and if they set their mind to it, that they can do anything. Well, they're finding out that that just isn't true about your kids, my kids, any kids. It's not true about ourselves, that we are filled with inadequacies. And to somehow gloss over it doesn't help anybody. There's a fellow by the name of uh, Jim Taylor. He's done some study on this, and he's all in favor of self-esteem and building people up. As we're not against that piece of it. But look at what he wrote. It said, Where did our society err in our failed attempts to build true self-esteem in our children? These same experts told parents that they could build their children's self-esteem by telling them how smart and talented and beautiful and credible they are. You're the best, Johnny. In other words, parents were led to believe that they could convince their children how wonderful they were. Unfortunately, life has a way of providing a reality check. And children learned the hard way that they weren't as fabulous as their parents told them they were. 
Parents were also told to praise and reinforce and reward their children, no matter what they did. You know, trophies for all. (laughs) Here's the result. You know, it doesn't work. Lower self-esteem and children who are self-centered and spoiled. There's a better path. Here's a quote. This fellow is uh, Albert Moeller, and he's uh, apparently the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he had done some study on, on this same kind of thing and is reporting on, on another report. He said uh, 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 that this report concluded that having high self-esteem didn't improve grades or career achievement. It didn't even reduce alcohol usage. And it especially did not lower violence of any sort. Highly aggressive, violent people happen to think very highly of themselves. Debunking the theory that people are aggressive to make up for low self-esteem. And he talked about this fellow who will soon publish an article showing that for college students on the verge of failing in class, esteem-building praise causes their grades to sink even further. Here's what I want you to see this morning. The healthy path to dealing with self-esteem and adequacy issues is not to think more of yourself and less of others, but to think more accurately about yourself and about one other, Jesus. That's where our hope is. That's where our adequacy is. That's where our sufficiency is. You know, in the Lenten season, it's one of the great seasons of the church here because it helps us to think accurately about ourselves. Here's the accurate truth that we remember in in Lent. Remember, you are dust. You and I are mortal. You and I are fallible. You and I are only people. We don't have all of the truth. We don't have all of the answers. There's not all power within. We are sinners in need of a Savior. The Lenten season helps us to think accurately about ourselves, and then push us to the one who is our adequacy, Jesus. Our inadequacy is covered in Christ. We look to Him to be the Savior. We look to Him to be the hope. We look to Him to be the one that fills up all that's lacking in ourselves. He, Jesus, makes us right with God. Talk about an inadequacy. You know, we think about the holy and the righteous and the powerful God, and then we think about you and me. Now, one of the ways that people deal with that is they just pretend God doesn't exist. And it may be they're the only thing that really does. That doesn't help. The thing that helps is to know that Jesus is that go-between. God is indeed holy and righteous and pure and mighty, and, and we are sinners. But He has provided that go-between, that buffer that safety between us and God. We said this on on Ash Wednesday, that Jesus is that buffer. He is the mediator between God and men, the man. We we are inadequate. Our works don't match up to what God wants. Our holiness doesn't match up. Uh, We are inadequate to go before God, but Christ Jesus is our adequacy. He fills up all that's lacking. And more than that, or along with that, He accompanies us and empowers us. That's the thing that Moses kept missing. God wasn't asking him to be adequate. He said, you just go, I'll be with you. I'll help you. I'll be your strength. Remember what Jesus says, lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. Yeah, with man these things are impossible, but not with God. All things are possible. And 
His power shows up even better in our weaknesses. You know, it really is that point of inadequacy, our, our, our point of weakness, our point where we say, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do this. It's then that Jesus is most able to really be our God. For he fills that up. Remember what he said to Paul. He said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. See, what matters is not who we are or what we can do or what we can accomplish. What matters is whose we are and who's with us. You know, people are struggling with their identities. People are struggling with who they are, how they fit in, how they measure up. And people are getting into all kinds of difficulties. And we will too if we're looking in the wrong direction. The truth is not within us. The truth is with Jesus Christ, who has come down to save us and to rescue us and to make us his people. Paul knew this. This was in that second lesson. He said, I thank him who has given me strength. It wasn't Paul's strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Uh, Paul was this terrible blasphemer, this terrible persecutor. He was an insolent opponent against the church. But he went out and, and started all kinds of churches. All kinds of people got saved. He says, I receive mercy. He says, the grace of our Lord overflowed to me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. He understood that his every sufficiency was in Jesus Christ. Do you feel like you don't measure up, that you're not cutting it, that you can't control things? Look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. John 1. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to become the children of God. 1 Corinthians 6, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Jeremiah 1, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. 1 Corinthians 12, now you are the body of Christ and individually members one of another. 1 Peter 2, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Galatians 3, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. 1 John 3, see what love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. Colossians 3, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. There is a real good chance that you're not the best at anything. And if you are, there's a, real, a better chance that you aren't the best at that for very long. And there's probably a pretty good chance that none of your kids or grandkids are the very best at anything. It just doesn't matter. For you have been claimed by God through faith in Christ Jesus to be his people, to cast out all fear, the fear of inadequacy, that you might have peace. Amen. Having heard God's promise, His gift to us in Jesus Christ, let me invite you to rise and we'll pray.